What we are really dealing with here and uncovering more by the day is the massive influence of communist money through Venezuela, Cuba, and likely China in the interference with our elections here in the United States. I knew it! I knew it! Thanks, Sidney Powell. Makes a lot of sense. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. No, it doesn't. I got the feeling that something right. It's not. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. <laughs> Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. Of course, I have only myself yes, to blame. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Rochester, New York on WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. Out in Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX. Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Bird and Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com, apparently causing more trouble than I ever thought I could. You're <laughs> oh, welcome. <laughs> we'll get to that in a second, because there are 61 days now until Inauguration Day. Just 46 days, however, until Election Day in Georgia's two U.S. Senate runoffs to determine control of the U.S. Senate. There are 24 days, count them, until the Electoral College casts its vote, in theory, to finalize Election 2020. And most importantly, 17 days at this time until the statutory safe harbor deadline for resolving any election disputes for the Electoral College, if any come up. I'm sure they won't. Everything should be fine. It's all fine. Welcome Don't to worry the, about anything. Welcome to the <laughs> broadcast, folks. Glad to have you all here. Uh, yeah, as this madness continues, uh, it's become extra fun since Team Trump has begun of late to bastardize, I think that's the right word here, oh, some yeah. of my own 10-year-old exclusive reporting straight from the Brad blog in order to help them claim that the 2020 election was rigged via a huge international conspiracy to steal the election from Donald Trump, for which they actually have no evidence in support. It would be nice 
Also, if these guys could learn how to read. But uh, anyway, thanks for the extra traffic to bradblog.com of late in any event. I will, uh, I'll speak to some of that momentarily. If you have been following uh, any of the madness coming out from uh, Rudy Giuliani and his sidekick Sidney Powell and even Donald Trump of late, where they're talking about Hugo Chavez and Venezuela and the Dominion voting system, <laughs> well... You have yours truly to thank. You're welcome. Um, I will get to that um, <clears throat> before getting to my guest on a moderately related topic regarding the legitimate legal firms, not uh, Rudy Giuliani, but the legitimate legal firms who were previously representing Donald Trump, who have all now dropped out of his so-called voter fraud cases and... Um, and if the public pressure that was brought against those firms was actually appropriate or not. Uh, we'll talk about that in a bit. But very quickly today, as Trump's ongoing effort to steal the election by reversing the results of the 2020 contest uh, any way that he can think of, as that continues today, Georgia's Secretary of State on Thursday night announced that the state's so-called hand audit of some 5 million ballots revealed few, if any, changes from the original computer tallies of the results. Beyond the discovery of some ballots in four different counties, most of them Republican-leaning counties, uh, which were not initially tallied, uh, but that would have been found in a normal, proper post-election ballot canvas anyway, as opposed to the uh, charade that Brian, uh, not Brian Kemp, but Brad Raffensperger, the secretary of state there now, uh, that he has been putting on over the past week. The final results certified by the secretary of state on Friday in Georgia confirmed that, yes, Joe Biden defeated Donald Trump in the peach state by nearly 13,000 votes. In the great state of Wisconsin, Donald Trump's requested partial recount in just two of the state's counties that has now begun, that despite the Republicans' long-standing phony complaint that Al Gore was trying to steal the 2000 presidential election in Florida by initially requesting only a partial recount of ballots in just a few of the state's counties. You know, exactly as Republicans are now doing today in Wisconsin without a peep of complaint, but... Uh, you know, nothing that they used to believe obviously matters at this point well, anymore. Of course not. Shamelessness is their trademark. Correct. Now that we are down the Donald Trump GOP rabbit hole world, uh, the two counties in Wisconsin, Milwaukee and Dane, hope to have that uh, recount completed. That will be a mostly machine retally. Uh, by Wednesday, in a state where Biden appears to have defeated Donald Trump by about 20,000 votes, the Badger State must certify their, their final results under state law by uh, December 1, I believe. And in Michigan, all eyes are on Monday's state certification deadline when a bipartisan four-person state board of canvassers will meet to certify results there. Results that show Biden defeated Donald Trump in the state by almost 160,000 votes. Team Trump, however, is hoping to block that certification and throw the matter to the state legislature to decide who should be awarded the state's 16 electors. So he he uh, Donald Trump has now invited the Republican majority leaders of that gerrymandered 
State House and Senate to the White House for a private, incredibly inappropriate meeting on Friday to try and, I don't know, twist their arms, bribe them. Who knows? That is just some of the efforts that these guys are currently carrying out in hopes of reversing the apparent very clear will of the American people in what even mainstream media outlets are now describing as nothing short of an attempted coup by the president to steal the presidency from Joe Biden. Amid all of this, most Republican officials have stunningly, if not surprisingly, sadly, uh, stayed mum about this uh, seeming attack on the nation's constitutional representative democracy itself. So it was nice to see at least Utah's Republican senator and failed 2012 presidential candidate Mitt Romney come out with a clear, unambiguous statement on Thursday night on Twitter, blasting this unprecedented scheme now unfolding to try and steal an American presidential election. Romney said in full, quote, having failed to make even a plausible case of widespread fraud or conspiracy before any court of law, the president has now resorted to overt pressure on state and local officials to subvert the will of the people and overturn the election. It is difficult, he writes, to imagine a worse, more undemocratic action by a sitting American president. Well, good for him. Uh, thank you, Mitt Romney. Of course, the uh, front man for this entire effort now is Donald Trump's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, who carried out a bonkers Nearly one hour and 45 minute press conference in D.C. on Thursday with Sidney Powell at his side. She is the Fox News attorney now uh, who is also representing Trump's disgraced former national security advisor, Michael Flynn. The New York Times reported the crazy, uh, the crazy press conference this way in a news conference filled with falsehoods. Donald Trump's personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, and others made baseless claims on Thursday that the election was marred by widespread voter fraud. Christopher Krebs, the Donald Trump-appointed senior cybersecurity official and election fact-checker who was fired by Trump earlier this week, wrote on Twitter that the event, quote, was the most dangerous one hour and 45 minutes of television in American history. MSNBC's Chuck Todd called the presentation bonkers and an SNL skit of sorts. Oh, yes, that would that's a good description. I think that's fair enough. I think that's what we will see uh, on the SNL this weekend. CNN's Brianna Kyler told viewers that the Trump legal team, quote, is right now holding a news conference that is so bananas <laughs> we can't even bring it to you. And she's right. Fox News, on the other hand, aired the entirety of the event live without interruptions. But even they, after the broadcast, uh, Fox News correspondent Kristen Fisher said, quote, so much of what Rudy Giuliani said was simply not true or has already been thrown out in court. She said the facts remain that the Trump campaign has yet to provide, at least in court, hard evidence of voter fraud and irregularities widespread enough to overturn the outcome of the election and to effectively challenge president-elect Joe Biden's stance as the president-elect. Several guests on Fox News, by the way, including GOP strategist Karl Rove, 
also took issue with Giuliani's claims. Our friend Heather Digby Parton summarized some of the specifics from this surreal presser uh, this way today at Salon. She said Giuliani and Powell held forth for 90 minutes going full info wars and throwing out one insane conspiracy theory after another. They said that Dominion voting machines had been created by former Venezuelan president Hugo Chavez, who, she notes, has been dead for seven years. <laughs> and it was financed by George Soros, the Clinton Foundation, and communistic countries, that's a quote, communistic countries, like China and Cuba, just in case that didn't work, writes Heather, uh, the corrupt Democrats, uh, according to Powell, also rigged the vote with a sophisticated computer hack that was only foiled because Trump won so overwhelmingly that it tripped up the algorithm, which allowed the GOP's elite strike force to catch them in the very act. Also, she said, the mail-in ballots were fraudulent because so many of them were filled out properly. Yes, the, the fact that they were that there were very few problems with mail in votes was somehow evidence that they were fake, says Heather. Meanwhile, rivulets of black liquid were running down Giuliani's face as if he were an extra in an Alice Cooper video from the 1970s. The assumption is that it was some kind of temporary hair dye, but it could have been embalming fluid for all we know. <laughs> Now, if you think that the our, our liberal friend, Heather uh, Digby Parton there, is exaggerating the case to make these folks look ridiculous, here is the nugget of Sidney Powell's claims from the Thursday press conference from Sidney Powell herself. What we are really dealing with here and uncovering more by the day is the massive influence of communist money through Venezuela, Cuba, and likely China in the interference with our elections here in the United States. The Dominion voting systems, the Smartmatic technology software, and the software that goes in other computerized voting systems here as well, not just Dominion, were created in Venezuela at the direction of Hugo Chavez. It can set and run an algorithm that probably ran all over the country to take a certain percentage of votes from President Trump and flip them to President Biden, which we might never have uncovered had the votes for President Trump not been so overwhelming in so many of these states that it broke the algorithm that had been plugged into the system. And that's what caused them to have to shut down in the states they shut down in. That's when they came in the back door with all the mail-in mail-in ballots. Uh, okay. Now, yes. Now you're going to hear in a second how much of that is actually my fault apparently. Powell later made the rounds to expand on that theory. Uh, she made no bones about what they actually hope to do at this point, which is prevent election results from being certified at all in all of the swing states. Or at least those that Joe Biden appears to have won anyway. So Republican majority state legislatures can then reverse the will of the electorate and appoint different electors instead that will vote for Donald Trump when the Electoral College meets on December 14. Yes, that is actually the plan. 
Here's Powell on Lou Dobbs' Fox News program on Thursday night, where Dobbs then hones in on uh, the alleged conspiracy between the Canadian firm Dominion Voting Systems, which provides voting systems uh, to about a third of the country or so, and the Venezuelan voting system vendor Smartmatic, which had worked with the late Hugo Chavez in years past uh, and as ripped, but completely and rather hilariously bastardized from my 10-year-old exclusive reporting on Dominion and Smartmatic at, yes, bradblog.com. The entire election, frankly, in all the swing states should be overturned, and the legislatures should make sure that the electors are selected for Trump, and it's going to have to follow the constitutional provisions that it go be decided according to the amendment. It's just... Let's turn very... Let's turn it to Smartmatic and Dominion. Are they or are they not linked? They're actually not, Lou. <laughs> uh, but as to uh, Sidney Powell, the uh, great attorney uh, there, she was reaching for the 12th Amendment was the amendment that she was reaching for that would then throw the whole thing to the House, uh, to the Congress, to decide who will be the next president. In any event, yes, that is now the plan. And yes... A massive conspiracy by the Dominion voting system vendor in cahoots with the Smartmatic voting system company, which, by the way, has absolutely nothing to do with any of this. Uh, because apparently these folks don't know how to actually read <laughs> my very detailed and very clear and independently verifiable reporting from bradblog.com. So I received this uh, tweet last night after we got off air from Stephen Jackson, who does know how to read, uh, that said, uh, The Bradblog, not sure you're aware of this, but it appears your Diebold investigation, in particular this post from you on HuffPo 10 years ago, where they had rerun that 2010 article of mine, uh, is, is the urtext for Powell, Giuliani, and Team Trump's cries of fraud and rigging, said Stephen Jackson. Uh, for the record, urtext is defined as, quote, an original or the earliest version of a text to which later versions can be compared. <laughs> do you understand that? Does I that do. It's sense? like the Dead Sea Scrolls of election integrity and voting system technology. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so anyway, yes, yeah, Stephen, I know. I did mention it a few days ago on the show without having the time to go into detail other than to say, you know, hey, thanks for all the new traffic at Bradblog and for the fresh visibility for my decades of reporting on your newfound concerns about electronic voting, Republicans. I only wish they had noticed sooner, say, uh, any of the many years when the very same Republicans had dismissed such concerns as conspiracy theories and sore loserism, or when Mitch McConnell over the past year or two was busy blocking new laws brought by Democrats this year that would have helped protect against the very same voting system security concerns that Republicans are now going on about. In any event, the story in question in all of this, the text, if you will, uh, was from June of 2010. It was headlined exclusive. <clears throat> this is my story at Bradblog. 
Exclusive, on heels of Diebold Premier Purchase, Canadian e-voting firm Dominion also acquires Sequoia, lies about Chavez ties in announcement. And the subtitle, that was confusing enough, I realized, the subtitle, Intellectual Property of Voting Systems Still Owned by Firm Linked to Venezuelan President Despite Press Statement to the Contrary. All right, so in short, which is not easy, because it was a detailed, deeply reported exclusive of mine, uh, which was also rerun at the time by Huffington Post, where you can still find it both places. Uh, it reports, among other things, that just after the Dominion voting, uh, voting system company purchased the Diebold Elections Systems Company, which had become so disgraced that it changed its name to Premier, uh, Dominion then then went on to purchase Sequoia Voting Systems, which I had also outed in previous stories as having lied to various jurisdictions, for example, the city of Chicago and Cook County, which used its uh, voting systems at the time. Uh, they had lied about the Sequoia company's ties to Smartmatic, the Venezuelan company, which was reported at the time to have been linked to Venezuelan President Hugo Chavez. Now, Smartmatic actually owned Sequoia at one point until the ties to Venezuela became public, and that led to congressional investigations about a foreign entity tied to you know, critical U.S. infrastructure, our elections. That led the Sequoia executives at the company to buy away the company itself from Smartmatic, um, but what they didn't tell investigators or Chicago at the time, even though Chicago asked about this, was the fact that Smartmatic actually still owned, even after Sequoia purchased themselves away from Smartmatic, Sequoia still owned, uh, 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 Smartmatic still owned certain intellectual property in those Sequoia voting systems that were used around the country. My reporting at Brad Blog eventually forced the CEO of Sequoia to admit to that fact on a conference call with his own employees who did not even know that at the time uh, after one of my stories broke that news and the employees were concerned about it so the CEO called a conference call with the employees and yeah I have the audio evidence from that conference call where Jack Blaine the CEO at the time admits this uh, anyway the Canadian firm Dominion then went on to lie about their purchase of Sequoia in a press release where they also failed to admit that Smartmatic still owned certain IP on the Sequoia systems. Anyway, that's sort of, I know it's confusing, that's sort of the nut of the coverage there, but... Uh, yeah, so, so Dominion bought Diebold, Dominion then bought Sequoia after Smartmatic ditched Sequoia, but Dominion lied that it still was using some of Smartmatic's intellectual property. Something like that. Okay. Close enough. Point being that my coverage did not accuse anybody of stealing any elections, uh, much less offer evidence that Dominion would then work with their competitor, Smartmatic, somehow 10 years later. By the way, Smartmatic sued Dominion uh, long ago over that intellectual property matter in the Sequoia sale. Uh, so, no. Also, there is no evidence in my story of a worldwide conspiracy, either then or 10 years later, to steal the election for Joe Biden from Donald Trump. <clears throat> All of that is just extra stuff 
that they have now invented and piled on top of my actual, accurate, and verifiable <laughs> journalism, which, yes, I stand by today for those who have written in to ask me. Uh, even as, as, you know, they have turned into the basis for what, for example, Sidney Powell and Giuliani were saying, but also the chairwoman of the Arizona Republican Party yesterday, Kelly Ward. She uh, describes uh, in this uh, very scary six minute video that she released on Thursday called Dominion Exposed. <laughs> Uh, with this added warning that, quote, this video should terrify every single American. Well, if she hadn't made things up unnecessarily, it actually might have. But the uh, the state Republican Party of Arizona tweeted out this video yesterday with the text. Uh, Chairwoman Kelly Ward peels back the curtain to expose Dominion voting software. We demand an election audit. They add, help us win this fight. And they give a donation link, of course. Anyway, here's how the scary, scary video begins. What if the trust you had in your republic was shattered overnight? What if the dramatic stories and scenes you watch in the comfort of your home started playing out in real life, right before your eyes? Is that what's happening? Are we living through an episode of Scandal or House of Cards? Literally overnight, Americans lost faith in the security of their elections. Middle of the night ballot dumps, glitches, and secret vote counting certainly raised suspicion. Then, things only got worse. Enter Dominion Voting Software. 6,000 votes. Yes, that's right. 6,000 votes switched from President Trump to former Vice President Joe Biden in the vital swing state of Michigan, no less. Many in the media rushed to chalk this up to human error, which begs the question, why on earth are we using software that is so easily corrupted by humans? Okay, good question, Kelly. Uh, <laughs> no, th they didn't flip the votes, however. Uh, this was in Antrim County. As we've explained on this show previously, uh, this was not a problem with the counting of votes. None were flipped to anybody. There was apparently a database error that occurred when the results were uploaded from the county to the state, from this very Republican company to uh, county to the state. Those that error was then quickly discovered. It was corrected since it showed Biden winning by a landslide in the county in this very Republican county. Uh, and as we have noted, yes, it deserves an independent investigation to confirm the explanation that was given for this by both the Republican election official who heads up Antrim County and, yes, the Democratic secretary of state in Michigan who both agree about what happened. Nonetheless, a independent investigation would be appropriate, along with a public hand count of the hand marked paper ballots that were cast in the county. Now, as part of the uh, conspiracy, apparently, Arizona Republican Chairwoman Kelly Ward uh, seems to accuse, this was strange, she accused her very own Maricopa County Republican Party chair of somehow being in on the conspiracy. Seriously. Don't believe me? Just look at what happened right here in my home state of Arizona. The Republican chair of the Maricopa County Republican Party the largest county in the country, 
was forced to resign from her position for failing to attend a pre-election test of the county's ballot tabulation machines. And who owns those machines? You guessed it, Dominion. <laughs> so, uh, uh, is she suggesting that the head of the Maricopa County, that's Phoenix, the Republican Party, is somehow in on this with Phoenix, uh, with the Dominion, and that's why she didn't show up? And, her, yeah, her, her proof of that is not showing up to a meeting? It was a test. It was the pre-election <laughs> test, actually, and she didn't show up to the pre-election test, and I guess so she's in on it as well. Anyway, Kelly Ward goes on to say that all of this is terrifying, uh, literally. But if you think that's terrifying, Kelly, wait until you look at ESNS's control of our public election. They own even more of our voting systems around the country. By far, they are the largest. And I don't know if the Republicans have noticed yet, but the GOP's previous favorite voting system company, Diebold, uh, most of their assets or many of their assets are now owned by, yes, Dominion. But you guys used to love Diebold. Remember that? Uh, she goes on to say that it switched votes. Um, Which it didn't. Well, we don't know. We don't know. Actually, she says that if if it switched votes in one place, it could switch votes in another, which is true. She says that people who operate the voting systems can actually change the votes. That's also true. But that is also the case for every computerized voting tabulation system used in every single state in the country, as we have been warning for about 20 years of course, just because they can switch votes does not mean they did switch votes, but you can find out easily enough by, guess what, hand-counting, hand-marked paper ballots to find out. Pretty easy. Cool, huh? Unfortunately, in jurisdictions where there are touchscreen systems uh, made by these same companies, you can never find out if votes were switched, but Republicans, for example, in Georgia, really forced everyone to vote on touchscreen systems at the polls. And that's why I've called on Republicans who now pretend to be concerned about election security and oversight to join me in calling for all hand-marked paper ballots, all hand-counted in the upcoming all-important U.S. Senate runoff races in Georgia in January that will determine control of the U.S. Senate. I put that invite out on Twitter a couple of weeks ago. So far, I've got a lot of Democrats who have liked it and shared the idea. The GOP, however, has been silent. Hey, Kelly Ward, come on. We could get rid of Dominion entirely in the elections in Georgia. We could kick them out of the state. Are you with me, Kelly Ward? Anyway, she goes on to say that Dominion hired a lobbyist who previously worked for Nancy Pelosi. I believe that is true. As is the fact that she doesn't mention that Dominion hired Georgia Governor Brian Kemp's former chief of staff to lobby Georgia. Um, and that led to the secretary of state, uh, now the Republican secretary of state, buying this $100 million plus new system from Dominion. Kelly forgot to mention that part. She then goes on to cite evidence of how easy it is to game electronic voting and tabulation systems. And she cites various guests that, yes, we've had on this show for many, many years. So, hey, you're welcome, America. Look what I made. <laughs> Now, the Wingnuts' second favorite Fox News star after Sean Hannity is Tucker Carlson these days. For some, he's their first favorite. Anyway, he saw some problems in Sidney Powell's uh, broad, so far evidence-free, international dominion-slash-smartmatic conspiracy theory 
to carry out what they describe as a nationwide voter fraud scandal. On Thursday night, Tucker said that he's more than willing to give airtime to Sidney Powell. He said, we literally do UFO segments. But even Carlson said he was fed up with the total lack of evidence produced by Sidney Powell. For more than a week, Powell has been all over conservative media with the following story. This election was stolen by a collection of international leftists who manipulated vote tabulating software in order to flip millions of votes from Donald Trump to Joe Biden. The other day on television, Powell said of Trump that when the fraud is finally uncovered, quote, I think we'll find he had at least 80 million votes. In other words, rigged software stole about 7 million votes in this election. Here's some of what Powell said today about the software. One of its most characteristic features is its ability to flip votes. It can set and run an algorithm that probably ran all over the country to take a certain percentage of votes from President Trump and flip them to President Biden. Probably. Which we might never have uncovered had the votes for President Trump not been so overwhelming in so many of these states that it broke the algorithm that had been plugged into the system. And that's what caused them to have to shut down in the states they shut down in. That was a few hours ago, but Sidney Powell has been saying similar things for days. On Sunday night, we texted her after watching one of her segments. What Powell was describing would amount to the single greatest crime in American history. Millions of votes stolen in a day. Democracy destroyed. The end of our centuries-old system of self-government. Not a small thing. Now, to be perfectly clear, we did not dismiss any of it. We don't dismiss anything anymore, particularly when it's related to technology. We've talked to too many Silicon Valley whistleblowers. We've seen too much. After four years, this may be the single most open-minded show on television. We literally do UFO segments. So that's a long way of saying we took Sidney Powell seriously. We had no intention of fighting with her. We've always respected her work. We simply wanted to see the details. How could you not want to see them? So we invited Sidney Powell on the show. We would have given her the whole hour. We would have given her the entire week, actually, and listened quietly the whole time at rapt attention. That's a big story. But she never sent us any evidence, despite a lot of requests, polite requests, not a page. When we kept pressing, she got angry and told us to stop contacting her. When we checked with others around the Trump campaign, people in positions of authority, they told us Powell has never given them any evidence either, nor did she provide any today at the press conference. Powell did say that electronic voting is dangerous, and she's right, we're with her there. But she never demonstrated that a single actual vote was moved illegitimately by software from one candidate to another. Not one. So even Tucker ain't buying it, at least for now. And by the way, the lack of evidence is exactly the problem with these systems. Uh, she said uh, this algorithm probably did this thing, but and we caught them. Well, if you caught them, then I guess you have evidence that it wasn't probably they did it. They definitely did it. Where's that evidence? But yeah, the lack of evidence, that's the problem with these systems. The companies claim their systems are proprietary, so you can't oversee them. And they secretly count votes inside a computer. That is a problem. The only way that they can be verified is where there are hand-marked paper ballots that we can know represent voter intent. And then we count them by hand publicly to see who won or lost. But Team Trump is not calling for hand counts, not in Wisconsin, not in Michigan, not in Georgia, where they will likely ask for a recount. But it will be done by machine, either correctly or incorrectly. We don't know. And, of course, the biggest issue here, 
that folks on the right and the left have not seemed to figure out yet is, you know, while I've been pointing this out for many years, is that it doesn't actually matter if an election is perfectly counted and perfectly secure if the voters can't know that it has been perfectly counted and perfectly secure. Even a perfectly accurate and secure election can still lead to cries of stolen elections if the public is not able to oversee the entire thing. And I have been warning about exactly that for more years than I care to count. And now, maybe supporters of these terrible systems, both Democratic and Republican and anything else, will begin to understand that. Though I doubt it. Uh, for many, it's just about whether or not my candidate won or lost. For us, it's about public oversight of our public, our once public elections. That's the only way we'll ultimately be able to save democracy if it is to be saved. I hope that helps. Speaking of loony Trump lawyers, let's take a quick break. We'll be back with the brouhaha over the major law firms that until recently had been representing Team Trump before public pressure came down on them for doing so. Is that a good thing or bad? George Washington University law professor Randall Eliason joins us next to help us understand that and more right here on your friendly neighborhood broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter, and we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. I don't claim to be guilty Guilty's too grand There's a law There's a law There's a hand Yes, there is. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com Donald Trump's attempt to overthrow the will of the American electorate since apparently losing the November 3rd general election, by all evidence, has resulted to date in more than 30 legal complaints filed around the country, with so far all but one of them being either rejected by state and federal courts, including by Trump-appointed federal judges, or withdrawn completely by the plaintiffs for lack of evidence in advance of an actual court hearing. Several of those, uh, those cases were initially filed by high-profile, largely respected legal firms. But as George Washington University law professor and corporate and white-collar criminal, uh, criminal law expert Randall D. Eliason wrote recently at Washington Post, the Lincoln Project... The anti-Trump group, founded by a number of prominent Republicans, turned its attention and ire recently to the law firms helping President Trump contest the election. It launched a social media campaign encouraging the public and perhaps more ominously other uh, firm clients to confront the law firms of Jones Day and Porter Wright, Morris and Arthur about their work on lawsuits 
challenging the election results. In fact, Lincoln Project gave a link to Jones Day and Porter Wright's LinkedIn accounts, suggesting that folks message them and ask, quote, how they can work for an organization trying to overturn the will of the American people. As Eliasson notes in his Washington Post piece, the Lincoln Project was even briefly locked out of Twitter for a post that identified individual Porter Wright attorneys and encouraged the Lincoln Project's 2.7 million followers to contact them. It's never appropriate, he writes, to subject individuals to harassment or threats. And then he goes on to argue that holding law firms publicly accountable for their decision to be involved in these cases is indeed fair game. But is it? As Eliasson concedes, as a general rule, we don't want to discourage attorneys from representing unpopular clients. But he says facts matter and there are some important distinctions to draw when deciding whether public criticism of attorneys is out of bounds. Joining us now to discuss all of this uh, is Randall Eliasson, who is noted as a law professor at George Washington University Law School. He's also a writer and commentator on corporate and white-collar criminal law and a former assistant U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia, where he served as chief of the Public Corruption and Government Fraud Unit. In addition to many scholarly journals, Elias's writings on federal criminal law is frequently found at the Washington Post, where he's a regular contributor, and, of course, at his own Sidebars blog. And by the way, he has a great new Great Courses course on white-collar criminal law explained, which is available at thegreatcourses.com. Oh, Counselor, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Thank you. Great to be back. I had uh, I had initially hoped to talk to you, uh, Randall, about your other excellent piece uh, that you posted recently on, on Sidebar's blog on the presidential pardon palooza uh, that we're likely to see if and when Donald Trump finally leaves office and whether he'll be able to legally issue pardons not only for his close associates and family members, but most controversially for himself. I will link to that excellent piece when I post today's show at bradblog.com, but I, I suspect we'll have time to talk about that down the road a bit, uh, giving us a good excuse to have you back. Today, given the insanity that we are now seeing from Team Trump and his so-called attorneys, the, the ones who are left to try and bring legal action to support these unsupported claims of a massive nationwide fraud conspiracy to steal the election for Biden. I, I wanted to talk to you about the other piece that you wrote for Washington Post, where it does appear that that pressure campaign you talked about on the Trump law firms has Worked at least uh, as both Jones Day and Porter Wright have now withdrawn from representing Trump in the uh, in his so-called voter fraud cases around the country. Um, Randall, when some of those Republicans in the Lincoln Project went after some of the very same Republicans, I think went after law firms and lawyers who represented alleged terrorists, uh, you know, being held at Gitmo uh, in the past. Folks on the left were very critical of that saying that everyone deserves legal representation in America. But you argue at Washington Post there are several distinctions between those cases and the ones that Trump is bringing. Let's let's step through some of your distinctions, if you don't mind. The first one you say is the difference between criminal cases and civil litigation. How so? How does that make how does that make it any any more right to be critical of the attorneys? 
Right. I think that's a, that's a real important distinction to draw, and that, that the terrorism example that you pointed to sort of highlights. If we're talking about criminal defense, so every criminal defendant has a constitutional right to legal representation. Um, and, you know, when the federal government is coming after you and thinking about, you know, trying to take away your liberty or possibly even your life, um, everybody has a right to have an attorney. And lawyers should not be criticized for taking on, you know, controversial clients who are being criminally investigated or prosecuted. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people on the right uh, criticized lawyers for representing terrorism suspects. People on the left have criticized lawyers for representing, you know, sexual predators like Jeffrey Epstein. You know, none of that's appropriate. Uh, lawyers shouldn't be shamed for taking on criminal defense. Um, the second important distinction in this case is sort of offense versus defense. Mm-hmm. So even in civil cases, you know, if your client gets sued, you know, they've, they've got a right to have someone help them mm-hmm. in their defense, right? Mm-hmm. Even if you think they're an unsavory or, or unattractive client, um, you know, if someone else is bringing a lawsuit against them and hauling them into court or if the government's investigating them for some kind of you know, regulatory violation or something, and they've got a right to, to a defense. Mm-hmm. The difference in these cases is this is not criminal, and this is offense. So these are law firms who are sort of trying to weaponize the courts mm. to help Trump with his assault on our democracy. And, uh, you know, no lawyer has to agree to bring that case. No no client has a right, you know, to bring that kind of a case, mm-hmm. uh, or at least not, not a right to have a lawyer of their, of their choosing. Um, and if you're affirmatively going on offense and filing these suits to try to challenge and you know raise doubts about our our election process itself, mm-hmm. then I think it's fair to criticize the lawyers who choose to be involved in that, especially when the suits turn out to be, as we've seen, very frivolous, right? And like you said, they're mm-hmm. like one in one in thirty, I think, so far. Yeah. They're just the cases getting thrown out right and left. So. Right. Um, I think in that situation, you know, like I said, no lawyer has to choose to participate in bringing a case like that. And if they do, then I think it's fair to hold them up to criticism. Now, what about a case where uh, if a campaign, what if I'm running for office, Randall, and, and I actually believe that the election was stolen from me and that I wish to uh, to find out through investigations. I believe that those are warranted, um, you know, to look into the details, to make a public records requests, to examine the voting systems. Why shouldn't a, a, a law firm, why wouldn't you, Randall, join me, join my campaign to help in those uh, investigations. Uh, and by the way, if slowing down the timetable for certification is necessary to do it, I, I'm going to need an attorney in court to help me with that process. No? Sure. Yep. And I said, like I said in the column, you know, facts are really important, right? The, the, the distinction is whether there's some kind of legitimate basis to challenge, question the election. Um, then, of course, you've got a right to pursue any appropriate legal remedies. And I don't think anybody would argue with that. But what we're seeing here is these sort of wild, you know, claims of voter fraud that are thrown about very easily in public or at press conferences mm-hmm. like the one the other day with Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell, where they make just these crazy accusations with no evidence. And then you see, you know, contrast that with actual lawsuits when lawyers end up going to court and they have to stand before a judge, then all of a sudden that just disappears. And we see the cases kind of falling apart right and left, which shows you you know, there, there was not a legitimate basis for hardly any of these lawsuits to begin with. And uh, they appear to be just part of a broader campaign to try and raise doubts about the election mm-hmm. because Trump thinks that will benefit himself, 
you know, sometime down the road or over the next four years, he's going to have this continuous narrative about how the election was, was stolen from him. And it, these frivolous lawsuits just seem to be part of a pattern of trying to establish that narrative that he can then rely on for the next four years. So if I was then coming to you, uh, I, I had concerns about voter fraud or election fraud. I thought that this election was stolen from me. You might be willing to represent me, um, but you wouldn't go into court and make frivolous arguments that there was fraud in this election without actually having evidence uh, to support that claim. You, you could make the argument that, hey, my client needs more time to look into X, Y, Z. And you would think that that would be appropriate, even if I didn't have the evidence yet, but I suspected it. But I'm not making the claims that the election was stolen. I'm just seeking and uh, you know additional evidence, uh, move a, a, a certification time, et cetera. That would be perfectly appropriate. Right. I mean, the, if you come to me with that, my question is going to be, what's your basis for your mm-hmm. suspicion? You know, what's your evidence? I mean, you must have some basis for suspecting these claims that you're making. And mm-hmm. if they seem to be good faith or legitimate, then sure, by all means, we can proceed and investigate and maybe file a lawsuit, but what you can't do, what's not appropriate to do, is just run in with these sort of wild allegations that mm-hmm. appear to have you know, no basis in fact, and then you just watch the cases fall apart you know, uh, all over the country uh, because they weren't legitimate to begin with. So it seems like the, the, the problem with these firms, Jones Day, Porter Wright, etc., was not that they were working with Donald Trump specifically, but rather that they didn't say what you might have said to me, that, hey, I, I'm happy to represent you, but if you're just going to make up stuff, I can't do that. And, and so they should have not joined some of these cases in the first place, it sounds like. That's my view, yeah, at least yeah. for some of them. You know, the, and you can argue about uh, the facts or the merits of, of different cases, but I think in general there's been way too much of a willingness on the part of some of these firms, and it's not just those two, there are a lot of other lawyers involved as well, to just run in and make these kind of uh, wild claims without any without any apparent factual basis, and that's why we see the cases being dismissed right and left. And, well, you know, every lawyer has a professional obligation uh-huh. before you go and file something in court to try to make sure that what you're saying is, is true and accurate. Now, um, the the, and, the yeah. Trump campaign, I mean, they're claiming, oh, we do have evidence. We have hundreds of affidavits. They say they can't show them to anyone because it would lead to harassment of the affiance, I guess. But mm-hmm. um, they claim they have hundreds of affidavits. That that Does that not uh, amount to evidence? Well, it's not impressing the judges, apparently, because in the cases where they file those affidavits, the judges are, and there's a lot of information online about, mm-hmm. you know, the, the affidavits that they trumpet at a press conference has already been criticized and discounted by a judge for being based on complete hearsay or lacking any information about mm-hmm. the details of these claims. And, and you know, so, again, you can say anything you want in a, in a press conference. Um, but when these, this so-called evidence, including these affidavits, get before a judge, the cases are falling apart because what the affidavit really says is something like, well, somebody was looking at me mean when I was counting the ballots. Or, you know, uh, I thought it was suspicious that so many of the votes were Joe Biden in a heavily Democratic, you know, precinct where Biden won 90 percent of the votes. So, you know, the the claims are just anybody can file an affidavit. But does the affidavit establish fraud or any wrongdoing? Uniformly, the judges are finding no and they're throwing these cases out. 
And to be clear, in your Washington Post uh, piece, Randall Elias, and you do note you, uh, well, I don't want to say you support the KKK, but you are supportive of the ACLU uh, representing uh, very unpopular clients like the KKK in support of their right to hold uh, parades and marches and rallies and so forth. Weren't, weren't those cases, you say there's you know a difference between you know defending a client in a civil litigation versus a client who is on the offense. Weren't those cases with the KKK, weren't they on the offense in such cases to get the right to, uh, to march to protect their First Amendment rights? Sure, and so that's not the only factor. You, mm-hmm. Like I also said in the column, you also have to look at the merits. Mm-hmm. You know, so Jones Day has represented Trump and the Republicans for years, right? and they never generated this kind of a backlash. So it's not just the fact that you have an unpopular client. It's that plus the like I said, the weaponization of the courts, the going on offense, and the frivolous nature of the suits. Mm -hmm. So we do want lawyers to be willing, like you said in the uh, example you cited, to represent unpopular clients to uphold important constitutional rights, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, But you don't want them to agree to bring frivolous lawsuits, uh, you know, that appear designed to try to undermine faith in our elections or undermine our democracy when there doesn't appear to be any factual basis for them. It's a very different kind of thing. Now, if these uh, cases are frivolous, and like I said, and like you said about, I think uh, Trump, is uh, his record is currently something like one out of 32 uh, cases at last count, uh, why have the courts uh, failed to impose sanctions so far for what uh, you know, appear to be frivolous cases. Are, are, are these uh, state and federal judges actually allowed to bring sanctions? And, and would that be paid for, by the way, by the firm or by the client? Uh, well, it, I think that varies from state to state and depends on whether you're in federal court or state court. Mm-hmm. But sanctions are a possibility. I mean, the truth is they don't get imposed that often. Um, uh, so, and one, you know, what the other party has to move for them and then uh, the court has to grant them. And it, so it depends on the sort of local uh, local rules and procedures, at least in some of these state cases. But in general, uh, I think that's why you've seen firms like Jones Day and Porter Wright starting to drop out, mm-hmm. right? They're starting to realize that these cases really don't have any basis, and we're going to pull out of this thing before we end up possibly facing some sanctions uh, gotcha. for agreeing to, agreeing to go forward. So uh, the sanctions are a possibility, um, but I don't think they need to be the only remedy, which is sort of the point of the article. I think it's fair for other clients who see this happening to talk to those firms and say, hey, you know, how they feel about the firm Mm -hmm. participating in these kind of suits. And I think it's fair for law students who might be interviewing there uh, to bring it up and ask them about this, this litigation. And I think it's fair for the public to be critical as well. Randall D. Eliason's article at the Washington Post, his op-ed is headlined, Yes, Going After Trump's Law Firms is Fair Game. We will, of course, uh, link to that piece. Uh, as noted, Randall, I, I hope you'll be able to join us in the near future uh, when or, or even before the pardons start pouring out from Donald Trump uh, if and when he realizes his time is up. Uh, but uh, as usual, your uh, work is always very clarifying, so I hope you don't mind if we call on you again to to clarify the next mad piece of madness in this uh, story. Greatly appreciate you joining us today, sir, as always. Thank you. Happy to do it. Thanks for having me. You bet. Have a great Thanksgiving. Stay you safe. Too. Okay. Uh, yeah, we're running late. Quick break, <laughs> and we're back with our uh, last minute or two here on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. 
Hi, this is Brad. My thanks to those who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to sign up for a subscription to the Bradcast of any amount you like. We rely on you to stay on your public airwaves. Please grab a subscription at bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you. You know, Desi Doyen, I yep. usually like to uh, put corrections up at the top of the show when they're yeah. pointed out to me. I uh, had a couple of uh, very minor corrections, actually, that uh, I need to make that I don't even have time to make now because okay. I ran so long. But we'll get to them in our next thrilling edition of the broadcast, I hope. <laughs> in the meantime, news is in today that Senator Rick Scott of Florida becomes the sixth member of Congress to test positive for COVID this week. And mid-show here today, we have just learned that Donald Trump Jr., um, the president's oldest son, has also tested positive for the coronavirus. We wish them all well. And they really should have worn a mask. I hope you will do that again uh, yourself if you are going to be, uh, well, out and about on Thanksgiving or even in and about on Thanksgiving if you mm -hmm. have people from out of town. Yes, please stay safe, stay home, wear a mask, do everything. Anyway, we will pick up those corrections on a future broadcast, I hope, because this one was certainly jam-packed with more than enough. <laughs> uh, until then, my thanks to my guest today, George Washington University's Randall Eliason, Desi Doyen, our producer, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is always appreciated. It's always an honor. If you missed any portion of today's show, I hope you will uh, feel free to download it from bradblog.com or your favorite podcast site. Share it with your friends, family, neighbors, enemies who are telling you about Dominion and <laughs> Hugo Chavez and Venezuela stealing the election for Joe Biden. Brother, uh, I will link, of course, to uh, that uh, story in question that uh, Team Trump is now using to make their phony case uh, when I post at bradblog.com. Uh, also, all of this is only thanks to those of you who support my work at bradblog.com and here on the Bradcast by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. We are 100% reader and listener supported, so we can beat the hell out of anyone we feel like, any company we feel like, any politician or party that we feel like, thanks to those who stop by bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, you'll find me simply at the TheBradBlog. We will see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.